1: The phone lines are open this hour to be a part of the program. It's a free call, 1-855-450-NOAH. That's 1-855-450-6624. Or send an email to live at asknoahshow.com. My name is Noah July. I am your host, delighted to be here with you as another episode of the Ask Noah Show kicks off this hour. Access your Linux files from Windows. That's the promise from the Windows subsystem, or the Linux subsystem, rather, that is coming from Windows. Microsoft confirms that the most requested ability to access the Linux file system from Windows is in fact coming later this year with Windows 10 version 1903. Now, to step back a little bit, anybody that has dual booted a Linux and Windows machine for a long time knows that for a long time you've been able to access your Windows files from your Linux boot, but you've not been able to access your Linux files from your Windows boot. And that's a problem for us in Linux land because oftentimes developers will use Windows for their day-to-day tasks, then they will reboot into Linux only for doing testing. And so I think what Microsoft is looking to do here is they are trying to get to a point where people will stay in Windows longer and more often. And at the moment, the only option you have is to use Samba to get access and edit your Linux subsystem inside of Windows. So that requires a little bit of extra overhead. And I think what they were finding was people were rebooting into Linux. Microsoft wants to keep those people in Microsoft Windows because obviously that's where they make their money is when people exist inside of Microsoft Windows. Nevertheless, I consider this to be a win for Linux. I consider this to be a win for desktop Linux specifically because... I was working with a client of ours and we had suggested said, hey, for what you do, and he bought a brand new XPS 15-inch laptop, for what you do, Linux is going to be a better choice for you. Would you be interested in trying out dual booting Linux? He said, yeah, absolutely. I would love to. So we installed a dual booted system. We did 1804 proper and Windows 10. And he has been running it for a couple of months. I chatted with him the other day. And I said, how are things going? And he said, things are going well. The only issue I have is I had to format my hard drive and partition my hard drive in such a way that my Windows partition is drastically larger than my Linux partition because I store all of my files on NTFS inside of Windows. And I said, why would you store all of your files on NTFS inside of Windows? That's a terrible idea. And he said, because if I store all of my files on the NTFS partition, I'm able to access those files from both Linux and Windows. Whereas if I boot and only store my files in Linux, the only way to access those files is, in fact, to reboot into Linux. And so later this week, then, when this article came out, I thought, man, this is really interesting because it's going to allow people to start utilizing state of the art file systems like ext4, like ButterFS, haha, <laughs> and store all of your files on that Linux side and then continue to exist inside of windows but using linux for the file structure now it has a uh it's a double-edged sword obviously because i do believe this is going to result in people rebooting less often into linux the article goes on to say the next windows update is coming soon and we're bringing exciting new updates to wsl wsl being the Win, uh, windows subsystem linux These include accessing the Linux file system from Windows and improvements on how to manage and configure your distros in the command line. I am excited to see where this goes. Obviously, we will continue to track this. I have to admit that I am becoming a bit worried because Microsoft seems to, for the first time in the history of their company, be doing things that genuinely benefit the user and the concern that i have with that is microsoft has such a high market penetration to begin with if they begin to fix their mess steps does it put those of us that advocate for desktop linux in a pinch i don't think so overall because i still think that the windows brand name is probably tainted i still think that there are a lot of people out there that just associate windows with a problematic system and i don't know that that's a brand thing that you are going to shake overnight you're certainly not going to be able to shake it overnight maybe you don't shake it over the course of a couple years maybe you never get rid of maybe you never divorce yourself from that reputation but microsoft is attempting to try and microsoft is making some progress and i think this is evidence of that progress they are going to have success here keeping more developers tuned in they're going to have success keeping more developers on their operating system it is great to be here with you guys tonight. I apologize that this episode is happening a little bit late. Tuesday was my anniversary. Now, I want to be clear. Since 2017, when this show went live, April 3rd, we have not missed a single episode, not one single episode. You have gotten an Ask Noah show every single week on time. And I have moved heaven and earth to be here on the day that we scheduled because obviously as a call-in show. I understand that your time is valuable, and so when you set time aside on Tuesday night at 6 p.m. to call to ask a question, and I'm not here, that fundamentally disrupts your schedule, and you have less of an incentive to call in the next week, participate in the show, and your calls are what drive the show. And I am that is not lost on me, and I want to just come out and say I am very appreciative to those of you who set time aside on Tuesday night. But this week I had an immovable object, and that was my... 12 year anniversary with my wife really it's our 15 year anniversary for how long we've been together because we were high school sweethearts and I asked a pretty girl out in high school and she said yes and then wrote me a letter in binary code explaining to me that she would date go out on a date with me uh, and then we got married and she became Mrs. Colonel Linux. and uh, that happened to fall on a Tuesday and I don't miss my anniversary for anything not anyone not anything up to and including the show. So you're still going to get a show. It's just going to come in 24 hours later. And so that's what we're doing here tonight on Wednesday, same time, 6 p.m. Central. If you missed that and you were wondering, how was I supposed to know about that? We did tweet on our official Ask Noah Twitter. You can follow that at Ask, ask, at ask Noah Show, or you can follow me personally at Colonel Linux on Twitter because I retweeted that as well. Now, if I'm if that's not acceptable to you and there is a better way to inform the listening audience of Schedule changes, by all means, please let us know. Shoot us an email live at asknoahshow.com, and I'd be happy to address that. We also posted in our Telegram group, so you can join us there at telegram.asknoahshow.com. And also, I'd like to give a plug to our interactive IRC room. Check it out at asknoah, pound asknoahshow in the free node IRC server. We also have a web-based client, chat.asknoahshow.com. It's completely free to use. And later, I believe it's later this month, we will be rolling out our chat service. So essentially, it will be almost like Quassel Core, but it will be, Speed Technologies will manage it, and you will just get a free account if you participate in the Ask Noah chat. And you can use it for a number of different things. Obviously, we ask that you use it for the Ask Noah channel as well, but you're welcome to join as many other channels as you want, and it will be a persistent IRC presence, uh, no configuration required on your end, we will just assign you an account and you're able to log in and then you're able to use it. So if you're interested in that, details will be forthcoming later on in the month. Stay tuned to the Ask Noah show and you will learn about it. And thank you very much to those of you who made it tonight and are participating in our interactive chat room. The GPD Micro Pocket. This is a six inch handheld industry laptop. Now, I am not a big fan of any sort of crowdfunding really and i'm making an exception this time and i'll explain why first let me explain why i'm not a fan of crowdfunding crowdfunding i think is fundamentally flawed as it relates to technology because technology tends to move at a pace that is so fast that the clip rate exceeds what most manufacturers and most businesses can do when they're well funded You add the delay of having to ask for funding, and I think technology becomes almost unsustainable at that point. The first example I have of that was a credit. I won't throw them under the bus because they, they did eventually live up to their promise. It just took them a while to get there. The promise was a ATM slash credit card that you would purchase that you could program with your computer And it would store all of your debit cards and membership cards and those kinds of things right on this single card. And then you would be able to take this card and using the navigation controls that were built into it, choose what card you wanted to activate and go swipe it at a given store. Now, the card technically did work, but they didn't time it well because this was right about the time that the EMV chip system came out and obviously it didn't support the chip system, so any card that had a chip, it would just say insert chip, and of course the card that they designed didn't support that, so you were fundamentally unable to use that. And the second thing is I learned magnetic bars have two channels, channel one and channel two. This particular card that they designed only worked with a single channel, so if you had a two channel card for any reason, that card would not work either. All of that to say, I spent a lot of money and waited two and a half years to get a product that is now a glorified paperweight. And by the time that that came out, we had numerous other alternatives that existed. So for that reason and that reason alone, I am not a fan of Kickstarters. And we have seen this happen over and over again when it comes to technology. Now, it's not Kickstarter in general. There are plenty of things that I do like. There was a very nice briefcase that was designed, and I know I, I know we're, we're, we're not getting too far into the weeds, I promise I'm going to bring this back to Linux, but there was a briefcase that was designed specifically for younger business people, people that have smartphones and have a laptop, and but want an economical leather briefcase that looks nice, that works well in a professional setting, but has all of the pockets that we younger chitlins need to accommodate all of our wires and cables and accessories. And... They designed this briefcase, and it was 200 bucks. and it was it's the best $200 I've ever spent in my life. It is an absolutely fantastic item to transport uh, to and from business meetings. Now, that product took a little bit, but guess what? By the time it came out, it aged well, right? I was still in need of a briefcase that didn't cost hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars, and they delivered on their promise, and I think that they're going to be a very successful company. So in those kinds of pl- scenarios, it works very well the gpd micro pc is a technology product so i do have some concerns and i think i've just laid those out that said this is such a cool product and such a needed idea that i think this product will age well because i don't think anybody else is competing in this space we talked a couple of weeks ago about a throw together project that was designed at home by a system administrator That needed a computer to do his job. He needed a device that he could take day-to-day, fit inside of his pocket that would fundamentally allow him to do his job because what you don't understand about system administrators, and I know this because I am one, we cannot do our job from a tablet or a smartphone and people have tried. It doesn't work. The rest of the IT industry is getting to a point where they are able to do a lot of their work from a tablet or from a smartphone. And so the expectation and the onus becomes on us to find a way to get our job done using these devices. And I have been, I have been contracted to places where they assign a corporate tablet or a corporate smartphone and they say, here's how we do the ticketing system, here's how we do this, here's how we do that. And all of that is well and good until you run into something like, I need to SSH into this machine and copy these files from. This flash drive or something like that, and I'm not saying it's impossible to get it done. I'm just saying it's a royal pain in the tuchus. So, system administrators for a long time have come up with all sorts of ingenu have come up with all sorts of interesting ways to try to tackle some of these problems. And really, what they needed was a small, ultra portable desktop, or, well, laptop computer, not a not a mobile device, not an Android not an iOS device, but an actual computer. So this GPD micro PC, and GPD does have a history of making quality compact computers, is a handheld mini laptop designed and developed by GPD for industry professionals and various mobile scenarios. Now, it can replace a traditional notebook for people that work in communication, electric power, mining, archaeology, education training, manufacturing, service chains, call centers, business services, public institutions, government, military, they are designing it to be a full-fledged laptop. And I want to be clear that as I looked at the promo, as I looked at the demo video, as I looked at the specifications, I don't believe that this is going to replace anybody's laptop. And the people's laptop that it does replace, those are not the people that I think GPD is marketing to or should market to. The Microsoft Surface Go is a small, lightweight, affordable device that has been dubbed the iPad killer. However, the 6-inch micro PC is not only smaller than the Microsoft Go, but it also has more interfaces. So this device has a 128-gig M.2 SSD, an RJ45 interface, Okay, a wired network jack. That is something that is almost unheard of in laptops in 2019. One full-featured Type-C charging interface that also supports audio, video, and data transmission. Micro SDXC slot touchpad with left and right buttons a full QWERTY keyboard with backlit design and a 6 inch high-definition wide color gamut screen With Corning Gorilla Glass 4 the resolution of that screen is 1280 by 720 and offers a 3001 static contrast now I was a little bit off put by that resolution because in 2019. I personally believe that we should set the bar at 1080p But be that as it may We're at a point where we don't have a lot of competitors in this space, and frankly, a 1080p monitor on a 6-inch display might be a bit ridiculous, so I can understand why the designers and developers did what they did. I'm going to go ahead and back this project. I'm going to go ahead and purchase one of these. I hope that this works out. GPD Pocket does say that they are going to offer Linux as a supported operating system on this device, which is why I'm interested in backing it. They have a successful track history of releasing Linux devices in the past. It's not that there weren't any problems, but they are making it. They have shown an effort and a goodwill towards the community to try to move the ball forward supporting Linux. So I feel pretty comfortable with this device. And like I say, they're not starting from the ground up. This is essentially a new take on an old idea. Again, the phone lines are open 1 855 450 noah That's 855 450 6624. The email live at asknoahshow.com. Now, my guest this hour, you've heard him before. His name is Keith Perry, and he is a business expert. This, Him and his group of cronies have done some amazing things with Linux and with business. He joins us now on the SNOA Show. Hey, Keith, welcome into the program. That was uneventful. Keith, are you there? Hello? Is this Keith? Yes, I am. Hey, how are we doing? Yes, this good how are you i'm doing great keith so uh what i want to do is i just want to invite the audience if you have business questions go ahead and give us a call at 855 450 Noah. that's 855-450-6624 you can drop them in the chat room at on FreeNode pound ask noah show you can email them to live at asknoahshow.com and uh, you and i will just kind of chat about some business and take those questions if they come in if that sounds good to you
2: That sounds awesome.
1: Give me the 30-second elevator pitch. What does Keith do? What do you do for a living? And could you explain your relationship um, with some of the other folks that we've had on the show?
2: Oh, okay. Um, Well, like a lot of people, I I am uh, an open-source consultant. But um, I I do have my company, and I work under that branding, which is DAO Technologies. And uh, the sort of the 20-second pitch is that we are a technology management and consulting organization and we've touched most of the technologies that have come along within the last 25 years or so. Uh, what separates us out from other consultants that are out there is that we, are, are, uh, we have a deep bench and we have a wide bench in terms of the knowledge base. We have solutions that get very technical. We have solutions that are ranging from things like voice over IP to uh, doing embedded solutions to um, – application development so it's uh yeah, I, I like to tell people it's it's a little bit hard to say what i do because i'm very much an engineer uh i'm i create solutions uh there's certain things i don't do but there's really not much that you know I can, i'll say that too i always try to you know uh get something done for a client you know it's all about solving those pain points
1: I hear you. We have a call at seven oh at one eight fifty five four fifty Noah. That's eight five five four five zero six six two four. You're on. Ask Noah. How are you?
3: Hi Noah. How are you?
1: Excellent. What can we do for you tonight?
3: Well, this wasn't business related because I called in right before you uh, brought your guests on the air, so my apologies for that. But no worries. Um, I had a question. Uh, I had a question about the Nvidia Shield and Cody. So. I've been using this combination for at least the last two or three releases of Kodi, and I have a, a keymap, uh, like a keyboard.xml file that I have that like, has custom mapping for the controller. When it upgraded to version 18, the keymap stopped working. And I'm very confused by this because um, when I go in to, say, use the GUI and have it modify the file, it moves my config file to a backup file. So I know that I've got it in the right place and that it sees the file. But um, when I put my file that has always worked back in place, the key map doesn't seem to change.
1: Hmm. So you're using like a USB uh, keyboard or USB uh, controller of sorts to control um, your NVIDIA Shield?
3: Well, it comes with the, well, I have the gaming edition, so it has the, uh, the NVIDIA controller that comes with it.
1: Oh, I see so That's so that's the controller handle. that you're using yep okay yeah so uh, have you ever checked out a it's it's actually an application that you install on the Nvidia shield called button mapper
3: so I I'm not sure what it was called but when I went into the add ons or whatever to to search for something there was like because on the in the wiki the Cody wiki has an official key map editor and so I tried using that and that's what moved my file um, to like a backup file but it didn't work that's that's part of my uh, that's part of my problem
1: huh um, I so I'm, I have to be honest with you I'm not familiar with the uh, with the key mapping file method I have always used this button mapper program that I've installed and so that's worked pretty well for me. Perhaps the program that you tried was a different one. I will, what I'll do is I will throw this, uh, I'll throw this file inside of the, uh, in the, in the show notes for you at podcast.asknoahshow.com and uh, maybe you give that a shot and give us a call back and let us know if it works.
3: Sure. Thanks a lot.
1: Yeah, I appreciate it. Again, 1-855-450-NOAH. That's 855-450-6624. The email live at asknoahshow.com. So, Keith, we've got a couple questions that have come in here. Uh, sure. What are some of the banking options for small businesses? I've recently set up a Zio and it's awesome. Wondering if there's any others I should look into.
2: Banking uh, banking options for for just general banking or what's uh, is there any more to the question that
1: you know he's not specifying I just googled uh, okay I just googled uh, a Zio and it looks like it's an actual bank like a bank that you like just a, a bank for business
2: ah okay um that's uh, that's a tough one um. I, I just recently, in fact, moved away from one of the, uh, the large nationwide banks. And sort of a general principle with me is that I try to do business as local as possible. The reason for that is because chances are you're going to meet people higher up in the organization than you would compared to so, uh, a national bank, okay, unless you happen to be near the headquarters and, and even then. Uh, national international companies are larger, and it's harder to get access to those executives, if you will. So, in regardless of where you are, I would always try to work with a smaller bank. And I know that sometimes, especially after 2008, people are apprehensive about using local and regional banks. But um, it's 2019 now, and I, I think you should definitely give your local banks a shot. Uh, some of the newer things that are out there, these online banks that's that's fine i i would actually recommend from a from a business standpoint get yourself into a discipline of having accounts that are specifically for your business it'll make your life much easier when it comes time to do your taxes Def, you definitely want to have that firewall between your business transactions and your non-business transactions so Use a combination, you know, like I said, definitely check out your local banks, but if it's more convenient for certain things, use an online bank, uh, something like a a Zio or some of these other uh, new ways to bank uh, coming along, don't be scared to check them out because you never know what may operate efficiently for you.
1: I'll dovetail onto that. I think all of that is excellent advice. I too have also noticed that the more local you are, the more you're treated as a person, the more national... And big box you go, the more you're treated as a number, right? You're just an account number to them. And and so they, you know, i give you an example. My debit card was stolen. And not stolen, but, you know, it's fraud, whatever. And uh, I give them a call and I'm spending, I probably spent the first 20 minutes on the phone just trying to convince the lady I am who I say I am. And she's asking me my dog's last name and, like, you know, it's crazy stuff. I go into my local credit union and they go, oh, hey, Noah, what's up? You know, and that, that's, so that right there kind of exemplifies the difference for me. I'll put a link to this Azio yep. in the show notes. I have not heard of it before, but it's something that if you're, if that's something that you're dealing with as a small business person, then you can check that out and make your own decision. Again, not endorsing it or anything like that, but it was sent in by a, uh, by a text messenger. So we'll, we'll put that in the show notes. I'll also give a small plug for, uh, the Capital One. And now this is a bigger, you know, national bank kind of a deal, but the they have a program called the Spark Business Account. And the Capital One Spark Business Program, yeah. is, have you heard of it? It's specifically designed for entrepreneurs and small business owners. And so they try yeah,
2: to. Yeah, that, that i of, yeah.
1: They try, essentially, what they try to do is they try to take a lot of the big name stuff and the big features that you would get if you had a full on accounting firm or a full on financial person on staff and try to roll that into a service. So the ability to uh, send checks out and mail them on a specific date and to various vendors and, and tie into your accounting system like QuickBooks and all of those kinds of things. So some of those things are, are worth at least looking at. I'll have a link to the spark business as well as this Azeo. I'm also going to check out this Azeo because I'm always interested in keeping and uh, keeping up to date, but I will wholeheartedly agree with what Keith said. If you can keep it more on a local scale, probably better to do that. Uh, Keith, another question comes in and says, what are some strategies for cold calling or initial customer interaction?
2: The, one of the things that you have to do, and, and you know, this is, this is sort of where the rubber meets the road, is you have to differentiate yourself from every other technical person out there. So one of the strategies that I've used is that I try to go where my customers are going to be. If let's say you, you know, had a great idea for a, uh, an app that was uh, had to deal something with cars, okay? Um, well, you're, not, you're probably not gonna be in front of the right people if you go to a technical conference. But if you go to an automotive conference, or you know, maybe you go to a car show or something like that, you know, you have to figure out what would makes sense. You, you wanna be in the room with the people that are going to wanna hear your solution you can look at that from the executive level. You can look at that from the, the user base. Uh, it's sort of either top down or, a, or a bottom up strategy there, but it's, um, it, it, it's, it's difficult. I, I, I will say that cold calling is one of the things that I do not do. Uh, I've tried it before. I've tried mailers before. It's, um, business owners and people who are signing checks and are trying to just run their business, they, they don't want to talk to you. So you sort of have to catch them when they are not doing business. And if you think about when you, when you're cold calling, you know, I, you know, think about when someone cold calls you, right? You, chances are they're calling you when you don't want to be bothered. And and that's sort of the situation that, um, uh, you know, cold calling is, you know, puts you in. So I, I would say if you're going to do it, figure out how to approach people in a way that's going to not be when they are busy and make your calls in. If you can avoid it altogether and just take another approach that might work a little bit better for you, but, uh, certainly by trying strategy, any strategy possible.
1: That's excellent. That's excellent advice. I agree with all of that. I'll also add on, I, what I find that very frustrating is people who don't own their own job, I don't care if you actually own a company or if you work for somebody else. It's irrelevant to what I'm about to say. You need to treat your job as if your job was your company and you need to own that. I can't remember. I can't I recall the amount of times and I'm sure you've been here, Keith, where you walk in, you're at a dinner party or you're at a business function and you walk up to somebody and you say, oh, who are you? And, you know, what is it that you do? And they say, I work for X. I work for X right now let me tell you something if the most interesting thing about you is you work for somebody else I'd rather talk to them right so yeah when yeah, somebody right, when right. when somebody asks you what you do have an answer prepared because guess what there is there there's a true story A gentleman was attending a dinner function and he quote-unquote worked for Boeing but he actually designed plans and engineering specifications for boeing so what he didn't know was he didn't quote unquote work for boeing he was a solutions architect and but he was at this party <laughs>
2: yeah
1: and he was and he was, he was at this party true story at this party and talking with somebody and he had gotten a recommendation through a third party had said hey you should talk to so-and-so i think he'd be able to help you that man approached him with the intention of offering him a job but when he asked him so what is it you do and he says I work for Boeing. It was a it was a thing that just totally shut down the entire conversation. Had he said, that "I'm took a solutions the air, architect," and balloon. exactly, yeah, he, out of his own balloon. Had he said, "I'm a solutions architect. Well, this is what I. This is these are the services that I provide, and I provide them for Boeing." All of a sudden, that would have been more interesting. Here's some uh, just uh, some some. Uh, uh, I guess statistics that I always tell any first-time salesperson that comes to work for us at Alta Speed Technologies If you are cold calling you have a 15% chance of closing that sale So understand that out of 100 calls 85 of them are going to be clicks and 15% of them You'll be able to you know essentially shoehorn them into a sale But it is not an effective strategy That number goes to right. 70% if you have a lead What is a lead? A lead is somebody says Hey, this is a place that if, if you get a call and somebody calls into your business and says, I am potentially interested in for, in alt-speed technologies, for example, I am potentially interested in Wi-Fi. If I have that as a lead, that my ability to close that sale as a salesperson goes up to 70%. If you have an introduction, that number jumps to 95%. Now, what is an introduction? An introduction is simply, hey, my name is Joe and uh, I know Noah and Ultraspeed Technologies and I think you should give him a call because he would be a person and they would be a company that would be able to fix a situation for you. And when they give that kind of recommendation and they introduce you to that that potential client, that number goes from 70% to 95% so what is the lesson to take away from this the lesson to take away from this is a don't waste a bunch of time cold calling because it's not an effective sales strategy b pay attention to your leads and c network the bejesus out of your friends and colleagues and anybody around you and not in a slimy i'm trying to sell you something kind of way but genuinely be a nice person and be available to solve other people's problems and turns out people be willing to pay you to do so so Keith, we got you back now.
2: Yes, I'm back. Okay. So, sorry
1: oh, about yeah. that. Uh, another question comes. Another question comes in. Keith says, "I'd like to know if there's a Foss inventory management system out there that works with a generic USB barcode scanner. Are you familiar with anything like that?"
2: Uh, no, I was actually looking at one myself last year, and I ended up um, putting one together. I'm um, st- still actually finalizing with just. Um, a actually it's kind of interesting the um, I looked at UDU, and I'm not sure sure if uh, people are familiar with that but UDU is um, it's an interesting product it used to be um, what was it open ERP uh, so it's it's got a lot of modules for a, a lot of different things and it does have an inventory module um, I for for what I was looking to do which is basically asset tracking right which is sort of the the baseline of, you know, inventory tracking, mm-hmm. uh, I thought it was a little bit of overkill. But it, it is something that's out there, and it's something you can use. What I end up doing is just with, um, what is it, my, with, uh, actually I happen to use um, MariaDB for this. Almost 99.99% of my applications I write with Postgres, But I, I end up going with um, MariaDB with this and um, PHP, uh, my admin. And the reason why I did that is because when you do linked, uh, you start uh, doing your um, relationships, you can get that information to show up directly in your dropdowns. So if I've got, for instance, you know, you, you're assigning a computer and a monitor to somebody, you can do that. You have a user table. You can make sure that your relationships are there. And instead of doing things by ID, you can actually show what that ID is. So uh, surprisingly, I, 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 I've got maybe I don't know. 75 80 percent of that done and it so far has been working uh pretty well so uh it's actually surprising there's uh, other than udo i haven't found anything that's sort of very very basic uh it really depends on how far you go with it but i'd say look at udo's inventory module and then if not um you know it might be time to brush off those relational database
1: skills how do you spell udo oh uh
2: o-d-o-o
1: Okay, I found it now. odoo.com. Uh, so we'll have a link for this in the uh, in the show notes, and this is a it's a management software uh, for integrated apps. Right. Okay. Excellent. And yeah. Has,
3: well, uh, but yeah.
1: Open ERP. And can you explain for those of us that aren't familiar what is an ERP?
2: Ooh, <laughs> I'm kind of old school. So when I think of ERP solutions, I, I unfortunately. Tend to think of you know the you know the, uh, you know, the uh, I don't grief uh, like Oracle you know things that Oracle would be involved in. Um, oh jeez, a CA uh, unit, uh, what is it? Uh, computer Associates, uh, although their stuff is maybe more networking based. But you, really, it's for um, it's. I tend to think about it these days as an extension of your CRM system, so your customer relation relation management system. Um, your ERP stuff, which is your what is it? Entity relationship. I forget what it exactly stands for at this point. Um, but it, it's um, it's it's about managing your your resources. And, and when you talk about ERP, uh, yeah, enterprise relationship planning. When you talk about that stuff, you're managing assets as opposed to CRM, where you're that's sort of focused on people. And, and the two of them go together. So they though that that class of software as i'm sure you know noah it's one of those things that people love it or hate it right you got people that absolutely rave about a sales for you know they'll rave about salesforce if for every person that loves that stuff you know salesforce.com and their whole suite of things you'll find people that hate it you know because it, it doesn't do the one thing they need it to do it's got all these modules and all these things you can do with it which is great you know when you're fortune 500 company but when the You know, the small business, micro business, or whatever you want to call it, uh, it just doesn't hit all the notes. So, um, you know, it actually creates an opportunity for you to, you know, those of us in the open source world to be able to use some of these other tools that maybe get close and then do the additional programming to make them 100%.
1: How do you go about selling open source to people that don't care? A lot of businesses couldn't really care less about the license attached to a piece of software, and all they care about is their bottom line. Do you have any suggestions if somebody's put into that situation?
2: Absolutely. This is this is actually one of my favorite questions and my favorite thing to talk about. Uh, I did a talk last year, and uh, it was called "The Business of Open Source." And sort of the one takeaway from this is you know, the first rule of open source or the first rule of FOSS is to not talk about FOSS, right? It's, you know, it's the whole fight club thing. First rule of FOSS club is not to talk about FOSS club. Right. And the reason why I tell people that is because, you know, I'm usually talking to technical people for this talk is, is, as cool. And as slick as you think your solution is, the guy that you're providing it to does not care in the same way you do. And in fact, what you have to adapt yourself to as, as a technical person or someone who's providing solutions is, you, you, you have to give them something emotional, right? If you want people to care about open source, you, you can't say, hey, you need to care about this. You need to care about Linux because why? you need to care about Apache because of this, or Python, so what. no one cares. What they do care about is, you know what? My voice system is horrible and the menu's outdated, the vendor's out of business, I don't know how to add extensions, I need help, what do you do? So you come in and say, I can solve that problem, I can fix that, I can give you everything you had and add, you, and add a couple of things to it. That, that just, there's a sigh of relief, because you, you are solving a problem for you, it's solving a problem for them, and it gives them something emotional to grasp onto. So what I tell people is, don't, you know, the, the easiest thing to do is to not talk about open source. And let's face it. It's, it's 2019. This, this argument has been over for almost a decade now. Okay. The open source way of doing things works better. Period. It's, it's, it's just not up for debate anymore. Okay. It, it, for, for whatever closed source has got an advantage, it's, it's marginal at best. Okay. So let's, let's not, let's not, let's get rid of it. Let's, Move away from the old habits of trying to prove that what we do is as good. Just, just don't talk about it. Just talk about the solution. Just talk about what you're going to to do. For and that's it.
1: This question kind of nicely dovetails into I think what you were just talking about. And it says, how do you go about getting networking opportunities? Just to back up for a second, uh, Keith, I had I was talking about. The initial customer interaction, and I was talking about uh, introduction, our call dropped there for just a moment. I was saying that an introduction or having a personal recommendation is going to give you a 95% chance of actually closing that sale. So I think that's what it stems from. But what you're talking about, not caring about the technical merits, but caring about how it benefits the end user, how it benefits the client. um, Both of those things, I think, dovetail nicely into networking opportunities. Can you speak on that?
2: Sure. So to your point about leads, and I, for, I, I get most of my business through word of mouth. And for those of us who've been around for a while, we know that word of mouth is the most powerful form of advertising because you are never going to sell yourself as well as someone else could say, hey, you know, talk to Noah or, or talk to Keith, right? It's that personal recommendation from someone that they probably, you know, trust more than you. So when it comes to networking, the uh, in a similar way, the the most effective networking events I've been to are the ones that I've been invited to. It's not me going to, you know, the whatever meetup or there's this new meetup and, you know, you figure, well, I'll get in at the ground level. No, but the, the things that have worked well for me is when someone invites me, okay? If someone is asking me to speak or someone is asking me my opinion about something uh, because of a recommendation or something like that, some previous work, That's that's where... You're going to get that close ratio up, like you're saying, right? Because again, there's the there is an emotional to. Um, actually, let me step back. We have to think about how human beings operate. So, you know, if you want to get into business and you you don't have a lot of experience with human psychology and understanding why humans do certain things, you definitely want to sort of embark on some basic understanding of human psychology. You know, that's sort of you know in college psych one hundred one one hundred two sort of course. Um, Getting past that and to what we're talking about here, what you'll learn is that you you can be in a room, and we're all human beings, and we all have the same skill sets, but if you think about it, the people that stand out are the people that people are gravitating to, for whatever reason. You might say, oh, that's such and such. People walk over there. One guy does it. Two guys do it. Next thing you know, he's got a little sort of fireside chat going over there, right? It's when you're new it's hard to do that much harder to do that what i used to do is i would just go to events just go to as many events as possible and you start talking to people and people get to know you we like we we do this at plug quite a bit the philadelphia linux users group we tell people all the time that you know especially people looking for jobs hey i want to get into linux i'm tired of what i'm doing you know how can i get a job and and we always say Sure, I mean, lots of people post jobs here and you may be able to get one. But if no one knows who you are, where's the personal recommendation going to come from? You know, why, why offer you something if, if I don't know who you are? So the name of the game is to put yourself out there with the understanding that initially you're going to be new. Not a lot of people are going to know you. You've got two, two ears and one mouth, which means you should be listening more than talking, uh, especially in the beginning get to know, feel out, you know, get to know the people around you, people in similar circles, get to know who the players are. And and then, you know, you try to catch them, pull them aside, you know, uh, offer to bring them a drink. Hey, what do you have? Okay. Yeah. You know, what are you guys talking about? Just, you know, sort of work through room. And I know for a lot of people, that's difficult. A lot of us in technical field, we have this sort of, uh, uh, um, I guess, uh, Label that we're all introverts, right? We all sit in cubicles in a basement programming someplace, and I I haven't found that to be uh, true at all. It's like most things—it's a mix. Um, but you you have to start by putting yourself out there, and then you 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 just you just have to you just have to let it work. It takes time, but the good news is that all businesses grow, and whatever you're doing, if you if you keep making those efforts, they will pay off.
1: If I walk into a room and I said. Let me tell you about the latest greatest podcast in the, for 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 the next 5 minutes only you two can get it for three easy payments of you know that kind of sales pitch goes nowhere like every nobody wants to be sold <laughs> yeah. to Right. But at the same time, we all want to be sold. to. At the same time, if I if I walk, if I walk into a room and I say, hey, you know what? You're having some problems with this piece of technology. And I understand that there is this podcast or this thing out there that would help solve that problem. That's something that's a genuine, uh, you know, appreciation. It's not a it's not a sales pitch. It's just connecting a need with a solution. And that's the way that you have to approach yeah. these things, not look at people with dollar signs on their face. You have to approach them as people and understand that they're people with genuine needs. And if you compare a genuine need with a genuine solution and do a good job with that solution, then people are going to thank you with these things called dollars. Right. And, and that to me, that's the, that's a healthy approach to to sales. I am always in sales mode. And anybody that has ever met me, though, would tell you, at least I hope they would tell you, that I'm not obnoxious to be around. It's just when I see an opportunity, I absolutely jump on it. Absolutely, I'm a shark. That's how I've gotten to where I am. Keith, what are the benefits that you sell to clients, and how do you convince them that these are benefits worth caring about? Because like you say, most clients care about their bottom line. They couldn't give a hoot on what the actual technology is behind it. How do you go about presenting that to a client?
2: One of the, one of the strategies I like to use is uh, as soon as it is, um, appropriate and it, it's, you have to, you know, like I said, you have to get good at feeling people out and understanding some human psychology, but as soon as it's appropriate, you want to look at your language and instead of saying what I can do for you, right? Because again, now this is adversarial. Well, who are you? Right? Start saying things like we, us, so that their problem is your problem. So now when you start talking about it, I like to talk about uh, solving pain points. You know, uh, how, how can I make you feel better? How can I help you sleep better? That's a big one because, you know, anybody owns a business. If you're not 12-hour days, you're, you're, you're either very successful or you're doing it wrong. Um, so, you know, all the things we worry about, right, all the things you know your customers are worrying about. You, you want to, you wanna, not in sort of like you're saying, the obnoxious way or an arrogant way of saying, right, well, I have the solution and I will get this going, you know, we'll get this done, the royal we, right? You, know? uh, you, 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 you want to empathize without going overboard, okay? You, you want to show customers that these are some of the things that are important and why they're important. Because once you get that emotional linkage, now they're a little bit more open to you. So, you know, now, again, benefits, right? Well, if, if someone is hesitant about open source, like I said, we know from the technical point of view, this, is, this question has been answered. But I go back to the emotion. I go back to the human linkage and letting people know why this is, is, is better. But I do it from the standpoint of the emotion. When the question I get asked. and every, go, ahead, well, go ahead.
1: No, no. Go ahead. Finish.
2: Okay. I was going to say, one of, the, one of the questions that all of us get asked, especially when we're, when we're starting out, is, well, what happens if what, – what do I do if something happens to you, right? This is, this is a big deal.
1: Get hit by a bus syndrome. Application.
2: Yeah, exactly. You get hit by a bus, right? And I like to spin it around and say, well, what happens to that same person at the, the Fortune 500 company? Is, is every programmer – are you paying for all 100 of their programmers? No, right? We have documentation. We have – and we have – you know, change control and other things, and, and, you know, we can protect against that. But what I also like to say, you know, which because that's, that's very corporate, right? We can get into corporate policy, but, again, they're not going to necessarily care about that because you're, you're already on the defensive. You're a small guy, and I want to go with the big guy and pay small money. That's, right. that's not going to happen. What I like to say is um, that one of the differences by going with our solution, and, again, we don't have to say it's false. We just say our solution, whatever the company, your company name is, is that if something happens to me, your documentation, your 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 product, your solution is documented, and there are thousands of people that understand this stuff, thousands. And when I tell people that, they go what? And like, what are you talking about? Right? Because I don't know thousands of people that understand. You know, you know, big name company like you know Oracle, SAP. I don't know thousands of people that know that stuff. Yeah, that's right, you don't. Um, but I know thousands of people, not really, but through various associations, we know join a list, IRC chat, there's somebody in there, right? We'll get it done. Um, you can also front load this, which is sort of saying, Well, I can have a succession plan in place. If you can't get a hold of me, this is someone I trust you can call them. Okay. Um again, it all comes back to that emotion of it and figuring out how it explains the technical benefit in a way that emotionally resonates. I agree. Um, I'm finding, I don't know, yeah, I, I know, I don't, and, and I don't know if you're finding this, I'm finding this more now. It's less and less about the money, right? It used to be, oh, you don't pay anything for this. it's open source, Well, what does that mean? Oh, you don't pay anything for it. And, you know, yeah, 15 years ago, great. Now, not so much, because uh- people are like, well, yeah, that's, that's fine, but...
1: I've I've gotten to the I've gotten to the point, Keith, where I don't even mention the money anymore because it's gotten to a point where I think it almost undersells open-source and it undersells the value and they go well if it's free why is it free it must not yeah. be as good and so I I frankly I don't even exactly. mention the money anymore I just talk like you say I just talk yeah. about the advantages I just talk about how it benefits the business there is a question in the chat room they're asking about marketing suggestion they're saying I want to stay away from podcasts I want to stay away from social media like Instagram and Facebook and insert copy social media platform here how then do you get how then can you be effective marketing and can you do that without using these digital platforms
2: uh, I, I I wish I could give you a solid answer there. Um, and, and all honestly, that's one of the things that is that is probably the thing that keeps me up the most. Uh, I'm, I I freely admit I'm old school. I like to be in front of people. Um, if if it's a, if it's a choice between social media or anything digital, being on the phone, which is we'll put that in the middle, or being in front of somebody. I'll call you, let's get a drink, let's go get some lunch coffee, whatever, and be in front of people. Now that's after you know these people, right? How do you get, How do you do the break-in? <laughs> that really goes back to you have to be where your customers are, and it's just going to depend who you're targeting or what you want to do. Yeah, I, I will say, everybody, you know, everybody that knows me knows I say this. I'm the guy who does not go to technical conferences unless I'm speaking. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason for that is because not that I don't like going to technical conferences because, you know, it, for me, that's almost like therapy, right? You, you, you know, yep. I like being around smart people and technical people. So for me, I'm not, I, you know, I go to technical conferences. I'm trying to hang out. I'm trying to talk about all the other stuff other than tech. Like, what did you, you know, we could talk about the technical stuff, but I'm, these are your people, quote, unquote. So I'm trying to, I'm not really in business, but I can be, because like you said, you hear something you jump on it. But when it comes to the business side of it, no, it, it's um, let's, let's get to the people who are going to sign checks.
1: Yep, Yeah, get and to the decision makers and don't waste your, don't waste yeah. your time with the people below. I, 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 exactly. I completely yeah. agree with that. Keith Perry, he is with DAO Technologies. You can find him online, daotechnologies.com. We'll have a link for you in the show notes. Keith, thanks so much for joining us again on the Ask Noah Show. I look forward to getting you back on the program real soon absolutely great happy to do it thanks so much again the phone lines are open 1-855-450-NOAH that's 855-450-6624 the email live at asknoahshow.com that's how you can become a part of the program make your voice heard ask your questions again join that interactive chat room you can join us in free node pound ask NOAH show that's how we it's, uh, that's where all these questions are coming from it's been an absolutely fantastic time Keith is a great guy to get on the on the program we're a little late to our linux newswire newsroom with eric the it guy here he is
3: from the linux newswire studio this is the weekly roundup with eric the it guy
0: hey Noah, happy to be with you again and here are your linux and open source headlines One of our favorite projects has been quietly seeing progress over the past few months. PeerTube saw a huge crowdfunding success in 2018 and released version 1.2 last month. PeerTube is an open source alternative to YouTube, providing a federated, self-hosted method of video hosting. The new version saw updates in supported languages, adding Russian, Polish, and Italian, bringing the total number up to 16. The notification system got a lot of love as well. It now supports notifications via the browser or email when a comment, tag, or new video is published. The PeerTube Federation this week surpassed 300 instances, over 70,000 videos, and over 2 million culminated views. You can follow their progress on GitHub or join PeerTube.org. The OpenChain project has seen some huge activity the past two months. In January, Uber, Google, and Facebook joined the project, and as of now, the newest member is none other than Microsoft. The OpenChain project works to assist projects in ensuring their open source code is compliant with their attributed licenses. This is done by meeting the qualifications set forth by the OpenChain specification. The mission of this project is to build trust between organizations and ensure the integrity of the open source community. OpenSource.com recently published a study of the most popular programming languages and identified several that are preferred for new and aspiring developers to target. The author, Marty Kalin, acknowledged the breadth of languages available to learn and highlighted several categories in their flagship languages. For instance, with web development, HTML and CSS are still at the top of their category. Swift and Java still reign supreme on Apple and Android respectively. One can never go wrong with Python for general purpose needs. As a new or veteran developer, it is critical to keep up with technology trends to continue to grow the open source community. GitLab has released version 11.8 this week. This marks the 88th consecutive monthly release in the company's history. This update provides instances of pages, GitLab static web server for subgroups and templates, native security scanning for JavaScript via SAST, static application security testing, as well as Sentry, a tool to track application errors within a project. 32 other bug fixes, deprecations, and cleanup tasks were completed before the 22nd release date. You can follow GitLab's progress on about.gitlab.com. For LinuxNewsWire.com, I am Eric, the IT guy. Now, Noah, back to you. Question from the chat room, any advice for somebody giving their first
1: presentation? My advice for you is practice, practice, practice. Also, don't read from the slides. Let the slides be auxiliary to what you're saying. Make people, you do the presentation, the slides are just there to reinforce what you're saying. So just have a little bit of text, for each idea, don't let people, don't put so much text on there that you explain all of the ideas in the slides or people will be paying attention to your slides and not you, and that's not effective way for people to learn. Tell them you'll give them the slides after the presentation. Also, XMN in the chat room says, Use large text to know your audience, just your presentation to them. That is solid advice as well. I need to know if you guys want us to do a live episode from scale. That is potentially on the books. That's coming up in just a week. So send the feedback to live at asknoahshow.com if you'd like a show live from scale. Otherwise, we'll have interviews recorded and we'll play them the week after scale. We'll see you next Tuesday.